All right, welcome back to uh, our study through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, today we're doing the last antithesis of the sermon, and uh, we'll talk a lot about how this this uh, text has been misunderstood by quite a few people uh, because they don't interpret it within the context of the larger gospel and his purposes and all of that. So we'll talk about that today, but let's begin in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you once again for your word that uh, it challenges us uh, not only in our previous traditions of what the passage may have meant, but in our daily lives, Lord, once we do get the correct interpretation, it is extremely challenging uh, to obey this. And yet you call all of your people to this. And so this is not something that we get to ignore. Uh, it's not something to where we get to make up our own morality concerning it, lest we find ourselves be the lords of ourself uh, rather than having you as our Lord. But instead, we must submit to you. We must realize that this is the most loving thing to do, that you have commanded us to be like God in the world and reflect God in a particular way. And I thank you, Lord, that you've given us this text to help us understand how we might relate to one another, uh, even if we're having issues with one another. We thank you for these things and ask that you might be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and read the text. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right, well, there are numerous things in this passage that I think are very much misunderstood by people. Um, our culture in particular loves to misinterpret this passage because it feeds into its enlightenment religion, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But as we go through it, I want to start just from the beginning and kind of go through piece by piece. So in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, again, we're talking about what the rabbis teach, not what the scripture says. Now they take scripture and then they teach it a certain way, and so you've got a part of scripture here but then you have them adding on to that scripture. So what do they say? What, what do they say? They say, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, it's very important to identify what is being talked about. What are the rabbis saying? Because then we can understand what Jesus is negating. Are the rabbis saying, you'll love all the people in Israel, but you'll hate all the nations and the Gentiles? Well, I don't think so. And that's the way we usually take it. But I don't think that's what they're saying. Um, because if you look at the rest of what they're saying, their, their instructions are for the covenant community and how to deal with people in the covenant community. Whether uh, you know, some, they're at odds with someone or um, whether you know, uh, that, that murdering is to be limited and it doesn't have anything to do with like you know, gossiping against your, your uh, fellow believer uh, adultery can be, you know, things that uh, it has to be specific, but it, it's not like divorcing your wife, which is doing harm to someone in the covenant community. 
Um, you can make O's, but it has to be a particular oath, and therefore you're not bound by it. Because again, it's it's toward the people in the covenant community. So each of these is toward the people in the covenant community. Last time we looked at the fact that it had to do with people who might think that you are um, liable for something that you've you've done, and you need to pay them or what have you. Um, all of this is geared toward the covenant community, and so that's what they're arguing for. What they're really saying is is that um, you will love your neighbor and hate your enemy within the covenant community. Now, this is important to understand because the word neighbor, literally, it just means someone who's like next to you, someone who's near you. But through time and through different contexts, it came to have certain connotations. And so the actual original text is talking about loving people within the fellow covenant community. It's not talking about loving Canaanites or anything like that. Talking about people within the covenant community, that's what God intended. But over time, the word can also be used to talk about your friends, that your neighbor is your friend. And so the word actually came to to denote ideas of friendship as well. And what it seems to be saying here is that the rabbis had kind of gotten a hold of it and said, you know what, love your friends, but those who actually do evil, you're okay to hate them. You're not called to hate them because they're not, they're not your friends. You're only called to love your friends. And so within even the Israelite community, the Jewish community, you've got a, a groups forming to where it's okay. You can love the people who are close to you, have cliques, um, love your friends, but people who do bad to you within the covenant community, you can hate them. Uh, so take care of these people You have no obligations toward those people, even though you're all in the covenant community of God, even though you're all believers. What Jesus is negating then is the idea that somehow the rabbis are interpreting that text correctly, that neighbor just means friends, uh, people that are close to you, people that do good to you, people that love you. And and it's clear that, look, uh, I'm not just making this up. When Jesus says this, he's going to say, well, if you love people who love you, what reward is that for you? So it's very clear that it's talking about friends that you have within the covenant community. It's not talking about um, what, what I think we often think it's talking about, which is, hey, don't just love believers, love the world too. Don't just love believers, love pagans too. And look, let's be very clear. I think that you should pray for pagans. I think that you should greet pagans, be welcoming and talk to them. And you want to communicate the gospel and many of God's elect are among the pagans. How are you going to actually bring the gospel forth to people if you don't do that? What I'm simply saying, though, is that this text here is not talking about that. Uh, It's not covenant community, covenant community, covenant community, covenant community, covenant community. Oh, and this is how you deal with unbelievers. No. Um, I've I've given this analogy many times before. When you're reading a book about a dog, and on page one, it's the dog gets a bone. And page two, the dog takes a nap. And page three, the dog plays fetch. And page four, you pet the dog. And then page five... um, On page five, the dog seems to be interested in an ant, but it doesn't use the word dog there. And so you're like, huh, I wonder if this is now talking about an anteater. 
And then page six goes on to talk about a dog, and page seven goes on to talk about a dog. Well, you understand then in the context that the, the animal playing with the ant, even though it doesn't use the word dog, and it may sound like an anteater because ants are interested in ants, in the context, it's probably still talking about a dog. Well, in the context here, it would be completely out of context to act like Jesus is now telling you how to interact with the world, when in fact the entire thing has been about the covenant community. Remember now how this applies and what's going on in the covenant community. In the covenant community, there are Jewish leaders of some sort. Either they are elders, so they're officially leaders, or they're kind of self-appointed leaders, much like the Pharisees. They become Christians, but they still believe that every true Christian, every true follower, or at least the higher-up followers of Christ, the true disciples— need to actually practice the Jewish rituals. They, they need to practice Jewish cleanliness codes. And we know throughout the New Testament, many of them thought that you should still be circumcised as Gentiles. And that becomes a huge issue. Well, what's going on then is that when Gentiles are not practicing those, and then you also have certain Jews who are not practicing those, and they're hanging out with Gentiles, and they're, they actually not, are, are, are not uh, observing cleanliness codes and or, or observing the Sabbath anymore, or, or things like of that nature, or eating certain foods, um, these Gentile leaders are bullying them, uh, they're slandering them, they're uh, shunning them. And because they're, they're basically not observing the Jewish law in terms of its ritual law. It's very clear that this is the case because Matthew is extremely concerned with contrasting the moral law with the ritual law. You see this throughout his gospel. Um, you also see his very, very much a concern that Jesus has come to the Gentiles more than any other gospel. He's come to the Gentiles, not just the Jews, and Gentiles are full, full brethren of Jesus, uh, uh, full members of the covenant community, truly Israel united to true Israel, who is Jesus himself. And this is why you get the, the imagery of Jesus being the true Israel throughout the gospel. And so it's what you've done to the least of these brothers of mine, even the ones you think are insignificant because they're on a different plane than you because you're somehow practicing the moral code or the, the ritual code, and they're not. Um, Jesus is actually saying there is, no, there is no plane like that. And so Matthew is very concerned about this rift that's that's going on here he's applying jesus's words to this situation jesus is saying you're not allowed to have clicks you're not allowed to love and take care of only these particular christians that love and take care of you you're also to respond to the even these jewish leaders and these other jews in the community and maybe even some gentiles maybe there's rivalries because of this that they all just hate one another and they're all in their little cliques now or whatever. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to respond to one another in that fashion. If you have other believers who have slandered you, other believers who have done evil to you, other believers who have bullied you, other believers who have shunned you, you are not to do the same. So here's the actual retaliation you're not allowed to retaliate is here. Um, you're not to retaliate. You're actually to do something loving toward them instead. You're to pray for them. 
you're to greet them. The word here, uh, espazo, uh, is talking, or espazo, my, is talking about uh, greeting someone, like, and often talking about, like, welcoming someone, like, warmly welcoming, bringing them into your group. That idea, you are to welcome them, not shun them, because they're not of your group. They're not on your team, or whatever you think it might be. We don't do teams. We've got one team. And we're against one other team. You're either on Team Satan or you're on Team Jesus. That's it. There are only two seeds in the world. The seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. That's it. So let's stop trying to make it though as though there's like more than one team. There's only one team. And you're to love everybody on your team. And you might have rivalries and people may do evil toward you on that team, and you're to actually then return good for it. Um, you're to be like God, Jesus says. What, what does God do? Does he just retaliate against everyone who does evil? No, the world would be gone then. God doesn't do that. He causes the sun to rise on everyone, and he causes the rain to fall on everyone. Now, it, he doesn't mean everyone, everyone, in terms of you applying it. Um, in fact, he doesn't use the word everyone. He actually just says on, on evil men and good men, on just men and unjust men. So God actually does this on both types of people uh, within his group, which is the larger world. But the idea is that within our group, then we're to do it to both, both people who do good to us and people who do evil to us. Um, and we respond to any evil that's done not by saying, well, I'm going to need to get this from you and that from you and this from you and that from you. And you're going to have to really clean yourself up for me in order for me to actually uh, fellowship with you in any way. Well, yeah, um, I, that's not right. You, you're only, as Jesus says here, sons of your father who is in heaven when you mimic what he's doing, which is to do good to both good and evil types of people. You, therefore, are to do good to both good and evil types of people. People who do good to you, people do evil to you. Again, this is not talking about the world. It's not talking about someone attacking you on the street. It's not talking about any of that. This is talking about within the covenant community, how do you respond to fellow believers who have done wrong to you or who just don't like you? Or who just aren't a part of your group. You don't mesh with them. You don't connect with them on some sort of like personal level or whatever it may be. How do you interact with people who have actually persecuted you? Now, this is important. The word persecution here, we get the idea that, again, this is talking about like the Romans, like putting people up on stakes and burning them to death or something. But persecution in Matthew, as we saw earlier in the chapter is not talking about that. In fact, let's go ahead uh, back to the beginning of chapter 5 and uh, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, that is, bully you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Notice, before and after. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
for so they, and it ends with, for so they persecuted the prophets. What does Matthew have an idea of persecution in this context? He's talking about slander and people saying all sorts of bad things about you and bullying you and pressuring you to do what's not right. Well, that's what's going on in the covenant community. These leaders are pressuring people, bullying them, slandering them when they don't actually conform when they don't come away from the Gentiles, when they don't actually perform these rituals, when the Gentiles weren't being circumcised, when they weren't observing Sabbath, all that sort of thing. And look, we see this happens. It's to such a high degree that even the apostle Peter is bullied into it in Galatians so that he's no longer actually eating with the Gentiles. So this is a very serious issue because it's a gospel issue. It really is saying, what makes you a follower of God? Is it all of these rituals and simply following the law? Or is it that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? Christ is your Lord. He is the true Israel. You're united to him. And therefore, you follow the moral law because it's what he commands you. It's his character. It's what love is. And therefore, he is the Lord of love. And there you follow it for that reason. But the rituals aren't love. The rituals are neutral. The rituals are amoral. In fact, this is something that Matthew is going to show us as we go through the gospel, that in fact, the rituals can be contrary to love sometimes. That's because they're amoral. You can't get a moral that's contrary to love. There's, there's no moral principle that's contrary to love. It's all loving all times. But you can get rituals that are contrary to love, that, that interfere, that shows they're amoral, like, like wine, like wine is neutral, or meat is neutral, or any day is neutral. It's how it's being used. It can be used for good or evil. And that shows its neutrality. It shows that it's amoral. It's, it's not immoral to simply not observe a day or whatever. So anyway, that, that's something that Matthew is going to show us later on. The point is then is that they're judging people over these amoral ritual things and, and, and creating cliques because of their preferences, because they, they, they think that religion really is wrapped around your following of these ritual laws. And being a Jew shows, you know, is, is displayed in following these rituals rather than your confession of the Messiah and the following of Messiah as your king and Lord. So how should we apply this to ourselves? I think you can see a little bit already of how we might do it. Now, obviously, their issue primarily is that of ritual. It's not necessarily of something else that's dividing the groups. But I do want you to notice that Jesus says what it seems to indicate that Jesus is saying what will divide the group even more is if you respond to any sort of bad behavior toward yourself with further bad behavior. Uh, if you're meeting fire with fire, it's just going to create more fire. And so he's saying, instead of meeting their hatred of you, because that's what it really is, when someone bullies you, when someone pressures you to do something that you think is not correct, um, when someone is uh, slandering you, when someone's you know really going after you, persecuting you in that way. Um, it's easy then to respond by also then bullying them or fighting back or slandering them or what have you. What you should respond with instead, though, is blessing and prayer and fellowship. Um, inviting them in, being welcoming to them, 
praying for them. And, it, and I want you to notice, this is really important. Jesus does not say, fake it. He's not saying, be fake and act like you love them. Be fake and just kind of put on a smile and act like everything's okay and bring them into your group, even though you secretly hate their guts. That's not what he says. He actually says to love them. You choose to care for them. In, in reality, not just as a fake thing, so that you actually pray for them, secretly pray for them, not in front of other people alone, but pray for them on your own. Welcome them, truly welcoming them, truly greeting them, truly wanting them to have, a, uh, to have them as a part of the group, because you actually understand that God, through this, transforms believers who may be immature, who may not know better, who may persecute other Christians because whatever, they're still just in their sin and in their flesh and they need to grow out of it or whatever. And you understand that through your kindness and through your love, you are being an instrument of God to transform them. Not in some spiteful way. It's like, well, I'll show that I'm better than you by loving you. That's You're not loving them that way. But by truly wanting them to be better than they are, to grow closer to Christ, to be more obedient to Christ, and ultimately because you don't want them going to hell. Because if they continue in this, as we just saw throughout the rest of the sermon, and as we'll see later on, uh, they might not be saved even. Now, they have a confession of Christ in the covenant community, but it could be that they're not actually saved. You could actually be saving them somehow uh, by being kind to them, loving them, that sort of thing. They can see what a Christian really is, be convicted, repent to Christ, and and be saved. So all that to say that these sorts of things, um, they appeal to our fleshly nature when we have someone say something bad about us or do something bad to us, harm us in some way, treat us poorly. We want to then retaliate by treating them poorly. But in reality... Christ is calling us in the covenant community to love one another truly. And truly loving one another means not just, oh yeah, well, I, I, you know, I'll pray for them sometime, but it's actually greeting them, uh, putting them back into the covenant community, fellowshipping with them as we should. Now, I want you to notice that when he, uh, when he says here that you're to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, a lot of people will take that phrase and say, well, see, no one can be perfect. So this is just all talking about justification. It's all the use of the law that pushes us to Christ. It's not that we're really supposed to do it. Um, no, we've already settled that matter, I think, because on Judgment Day, Christ is actually going to demand that you actually have done this. You actually obeyed him, or at least you, know, you sought to obey him and you repented when you haven't and all of that. Um, the word teleos here does not mean perfect as in you have no imperfections or whatever. It just means to be complete. And be complete in what way? Well, in other words, you're not to be partial with your love. You're not to love this group in the covenant community and not that group. And so in that regard, what Jesus is saying here is inclusive within the covenant community. What our culture wants to do is it wants to interpret it without the rails of context, without any framework of context at all, and just make it inclusive 
for the entire world. And you can see where that you might run into problems with that. Because ultimately, we have John later on saying, you're not to greet heretics. Well, Jesus told me I'm supposed to greet everyone and welcome them in, though. It's like, no, not people who are outside the faith. That's not correct. You're not bringing them in to teach your church. Uh, as John's saying, don't do that. You're also to shun people in Matthew itself. Shun people who are excommunicated. They are to be uh, to you like pagans and tax gatherers. You don't, you don't associate with them. Paul will reiterate this later in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So you don't associate with apostates because they're outside the covenant community. So obviously Matthew here and Jesus here is talking about within the covenant community, you're to love one another and be inclusive. <clears throat> but what that does mean for us then is that no one within the covenant community should be shunned at all unless they're excommunicated and put outside of it. But no one within it should be of some other group than you're of. Uh, no one in it should be uh, excluded from fellowship if you have a claim to Christ. And look, this is true. Our church tries to do this as well. You don't have to be reformed to go to our church. Now, you have to be reformed to teach at our church, to actually be an elder at our church, obviously. And that's what we're going to teach. But you don't have to be reformed. You can be a baby Christian and know nothing at all. You can have all sorts of heretical ideas because you just don't know better. Now, if you're teaching heresy, that's a different story. But you can, you can be wrong about lots of stuff. We're not looking for immediate conformity. We'll include you in the church. and We'll fellowship with you and we'll teach you. We view ourselves as a teaching church in that way. And so you can come with any questions you have and they can be heretical even or whatever and we'll address those issues and teach you. You're welcome. And we don't exclude anyone, even if like, you know, if you're having a rivalry with someone or you don't like someone, no one cares. Don't have a rivalry. Christ has commanded you to fellowship and love that person and pray for that person. I would say if you have a rivalry with one another, you should like go out to pizza with one another and work it out. And if it's the rivalry is based on sin, do what Christ told you to before, like squash the sin. Because you don't want anything, anything between you and your brother on Judgment Day. Nothing. Uh, you don't want to be thrown in prison and have to pay up every last cent because you disregarded Christ's lordship. So this is ultimately telling us that we're not allowed to exclude within the covenant community. There's no exclusion. If you're excluding people from your group, if you are on teams, uh, you already are disobeying Christ. Now, what's fascinating is people who want to interpret this more broadly to like the entire world is that they'll treat the world really nicely and they'll not treat the church and fellow Christians very nicely at all. We've had people who left the church because I actually said that this was exclusive to the covenant community and it wasn't talking about everyone. So they disfellowshipped, breaking this very commandment Christ gives here because they wanted to be friendly with the world and didn't like the fact that we, we uh, didn't think that this applied to the world. Um, th that's the great irony. It's like that people think that they're breaking away from us because they're obeying this when actually by breaking away, you're disobeying it. Because you're excluding based on your own set of principles on what's exclu uh, exclusionary. 
what uh, what makes up my group. And you're not of my group if you teach something different and that sort of thing. Uh, if you teach something different than this, if you don't treat my, treat my, uh, teach my inclusivity. Now, the reason why our world wants to interpret this as inclusive, and this is, of course, what everyone remembers about the Sermon on the Mount. It's this passage. This passage and the passage that says, do not judge. Just that phrase, though, not actually the whole passage. Uh, th- these are the two things people remember. And so they're like, oh, well, this is the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus is about love and loving your enemies. And, you know, and, and how can you love your enemy if, like, you're shooting them in a war and therefore we should be pacifists? And all this sort of thing, this inclusivity that you get from the Enlightenment, because the Enlightenment religion itself is inclusive. And it looks for anything in the Bible that's going to support it. And then anything exclusive in the Bible, this is where you get liberalism. Ultimately, you, you, that has to be something that's human. Uh, those are the human errors that are put in the Bible. Th- those aren't the actual words of Jesus. That's why I'm a red-letter Christian. And, of course, now they have to reduce the red letters as well because Jesus is exclusive. Um, but you have that sort of interpretation because they think it supports their religion, which is inclusivity no matter what. Just love everybody. Just love everybody no matter what. That's not what this is saying. Again, I'm not saying be mean to the world. I mean, greet them and pray for them that they'd repent and all that sort of thing. But this is talking about fellowshipping, not shunning people within the covenant community, praying for them, accepting them into fellowship. There should be nothing in the way of fellowship. And that's why Matthew is going to talk a lot about forgiveness even. If, if there's been an actual sin committed, there needs to be forgiveness when there's repentance. There needs to be repentance, confession of sin, forgiveness, and restoration. That's it. There should be nothing in the way from receiving someone in fellowship. Uh, And uh, if there is, then we've got a problem. Because something's in the way. And we need to get that out of the way, whatever it may be. So I think that's the correct way to take this passage. I think we can apply it to all sorts of things. I frankly think that we can apply it to the fact that it's being done with race now instead of ritual. So race now has become the factor that divides us to where we're on different teams within the covenant community. Again, this is absolutely wicked and satanic. There are two teams, like I said. You're either on the devil's team or you're on God's. That's it. And so if you come into the covenant community and you're dividing it based on rituals, based on uh, customs, based on uh, race or anything like that, you are, in fact, breaking these commandments. And then I have to wonder, are you a real servant of the king? Do you belong to the kingdom? Uh, even though you're saying, Lord, Lord, and doing ministry, but you're dividing people based on race. According to this, you're going to be in trouble on judgment day. I would stop doing that immediately. And if you think that there's, you know, you've been slandered, you've been poorly treated by one race of people, uh, then here's, here's my, my uh, advice to you that comes directly from what Christ says here. Love those people by praying for them and increasing fellowship rather than shunning and decreasing it. <coughs> rather than treating them poorly, rather than slandering them, uh, invite them in, love them, pray for them, fellowship with them. And, uh, and if you disagree on whether or not you've been poorly treated, let it go. You can go to the the previous thing. Let it go and be wronged, and the Lord will deal with it on Judgment Day. Uh, If there's any sin between the races or whatever, let there be confession and repentance. 
if people have broken away from their forefathers because they're not of the federal headship anymore of the wicked, they've now entered into Christ and are of him as their federal head, uh, you should forgive them because they're not guilty of sin at that point. They've broken from their fathers. Uh, Their new father is Christ, and he has no guilt before you. You owe him. You have guilt before him. We all have guilt before him, and therefore are in debt to him, not to one another. And any debt we had toward him, he paid for on the cross. And so there should be nothing in between, nothing that is creating these teams, these groups of people, these exclusions within the covenant community. Nothing should exist of that nature. If there is, someone's in sin and someone needs to repent right away because someone's going to end up on judgment day with God saying, uh, with Jesus saying to them, uh, you said, Lord, Lord, yeah, but you, you didn't really have me as Lord. Depart from me. I don't know you. I never knew you. You practiced lawlessness. You didn't listen to what I told you to do because you just needed to be justified. You just had to have your pound of flesh. You just needed to be heard. And that was more important than obeying me because you're your own Lord and you're not my servant. So go away from me. I don't care what ministry you did. It's very important we understand this. Again, I'm not saying that, look, if there are crimes committed, they should not be repented of. Absolutely. But let's do it biblically. If anyone has cut off from their fathers, they are not guilty of the sins of their fathers. They are guilty of their own sins. They need to repent and confess those sins. If they've done them to you, they need to confess them to you. And you need to forgive them, restore relationship with them, and move on as one team, one group, one body in Christ. And stop dividing over things like customs and rituals and races. It's absolutely wicked. It's not of love. It's wrong. And we need to stop doing it. So look, uh, you can apply this to numerous things. You can apply it just to one-on-one relationships to where, you know, you've been hurt by people or what have you. You can apply it to bigger groups who are at odds with one another. Um, You can apply it to denominations in 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 a, you know, to some extent, if those denominations are still orthodox and you guys are like, you know, fighting over whether or not you sing psalms or something, it's like, come on. Or whether or not, like, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're no instruments or, you know, whether or not you think that the Lord's Day is the Sabbath or rituals, rituals, whether you meet on Sunday night or Sunday morning or whatever. It's like these are rituals. They're all moral. Uh, We're not to divide with one another over that. Let's divide over maybe doctrine that matters because that's a matter of whether you're in or outside the camp. But let's not divide over ritual. Let's not divide over race. Uh, Let's not divide over customs. Uh, That's wicked. And let's actually not even divide. Look, if we've got a fellow believer who sinned against us, and and uh and we need we feel we need to retaliate let's not divide that way let's actually love and accept and bring them in and seek true forgiveness and repentance and restoration not fakeness with one another but being real with one another and being inviting toward one another and doing good to one another regardless of whether we receive that good back we'll talk more about that in the oncoming weeks as we kind of uh 
go down the next chapters, but that's essentially what I think this is saying. And this, this idea that you're to love one another in the covenant community, it really just arches over the entirety of all the other antitheses that we've dealt with. If you really love your spouse, you're not going to retaliate and get a divorce. You're going to seek to love them, pray for them, bring them into your fellowship, um, uh, restore what was lost. If you love your brother, you're not just going to ignore the fact that like you sinned against him. You're going to go confess to him and you're going to reconcile. If you love your brother, you're, you're not going to lie to him and find ways to lie. If you love your brother, you're, you're not going to, um, you know, defraud him and then not like pay him back. And if you love your brother, you're going to forgive him. <clears throat> so love is the overarching theme of all of this. We are to love one another, not just in fuzzy feelings, but actually what we do toward one another, how we speak about one another, what we say to one another, and how we speak to God about one another. We're to love one another, not just in word, but also, as John says, in deed. And may we love one another truly in that way. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We, uh, it's not hard to understand, Lord, in the context. We understand what's going on now. We understand uh, what this is saying. Now applying it and doing it, that's going to be the hard part. I pray that you give us your spirit, our, our resolve to just absolutely do what you've commanded here and love one another in every way that we can. Father, I pray that we understand that we are members of one another. We're parts of one another. And we are brothers and sisters in your household. We are citizens of your kingdom, eternal citizens who will live with one another for all eternity. I pray, Lord, let us now start living with one another in the way that we will live with one another in all eternity, in love, in love of you, in love for one another, for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.